Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Oh, what a great, great privilege to come back to God's Word again in anticipation of a joyful celebration next week as we close out Revelation. Thank you so much, Kath. Um, we invite you to turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 20. Uh, children, if you would like, we are blessed to uh, be able to offer a special time of worship for children. You're welcome to stay with us. You're also welcome to join your friends in the back of the sanctuary for a special time of worship. Our, your teachers will meet you in the back right now. But Revelation 20, we, um, we come to this enigmatic um, concept of a millennium. And, uh, and, and you will find, uh, as you research the topic of millennium, you'll find a hundred different viewpoints about what this is. But let's... Let's just go to the Word and hear it first today. Can we do that? And then I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to help us understand, even even as we hear it. So follow along with me, would you? We're in Revelation chapter 20. As you're turning there, I just remind you just of the incredible thing that happened at the end of Revelation 19. We had this amazing time of worship. We we celebrated the coming marriage supper of the Lamb. And then Jesus showed up, right? The rider on the white horse came and, and we just saw this amazing, this amazing consummation as, as he came, the, 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 um, antichrist and, and the false prophet who, who deceived so many in, in, in trying to turn our hearts from the living God to the evil one. Both of them were cast into eternal punishment. They were cast into this lake of fire, right? And uh, But that still remains that Satan is still out there. So listen carefully as we see what happens. Remember, artificial divisions such as chapters, um, we're not there. So we're actually continuing this story from last week. John says, then I saw in chapter 20, verse 1, an angel coming down from heaven holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon. Now here's that, here's that imagery again. Uh, uh, so it constantly reminds us, be careful as we try and jump to conclusions because there is, there is imagery going on here. Here's this dragon. And then he explains who that dragon is. That ancient serpent who is the devil or accuser and Satan or adversary. And the angel bound him for literally a thousand years, right? And threw him into the pit and shot it and sealed it. The strong language about what's happening to the uh, to Satan, 
to the influence of evil over God's people, shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until a thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be released for a little while. So just in your minds, recognize that the Antichrist, the false prophet, have been cast into the lake of fire. They are out of the picture. They're gone. Satan is bound in the abyss or the bottomless pit, and he's not he's gone for a thousand years, has no influence for a thousand years, but is not gone forever. We'll see the rest of the story here. John says, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. Do not mistake, beloved. That there still will be suffering until the final consummation. People, Christians are suffering. They will continue to suffer, right? Those who had beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. And then John just cannot help himself. Blessed, he says, and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. In other words, our great desire should be to share in that first resurrection. Why? Because over such The second death has no power. The second death is the lake of fire. It has no power over them. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So the first third of our scripture today kind of deals with the judgment of of Satan, him being cast into the pit, right? Um, Now, in verse 7, when the thousand years are ended, again, you hear that word millennium, it's just... um, uh, a mille or a thousand annum years. Uh, when a thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations. Nations which have not had this, the influence of evil for a thousand years suddenly will be presented with that, that uh, opportunity for evil again, right? The nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, that's a reference to Ezekiel, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. Well, how can that be just in a thousand years that their number is like the sand of the sea? We don't know for sure, but if there is no evil, if there is no sin, there is no death, then it's very possible to have countless human beings again at the end of that thousand years if it's a literal thousand years and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth verse 9 and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city most believe it's jerusalem but fire came down from heaven and consumed them and the devil who had deceived them here it finally is now um, the devil was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. Note this real carefully. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There is an eternity. The question is not 
Is there an eternity? The question is, where will you spend eternity? And right now, we got three in there. We got Satan, we got the evil, uh, we got the uh, false prophet, we also have the Antichrist in judgment. Then look, John says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was sent, seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. And then another book was open. So note that books were open. What are those? I'm, I'm going to suggest to you that those are the books that record um, what we did and didn't do. And then another book was open. And, and that which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades, or the grave, gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The very word of God. Oh, my goodness. Really? Really? Wow, these are hard truths. Are they not? These are hard truths. You guys don't know me very well, but um, I am a um, recipient of the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. And I live into that, and I kind of camp on it. Amen? I kind of camp on it. But the danger, the danger of going too quickly to the grace of God without understanding the holiness and justice of God is that we will not realize what breaks our Father's heart. So God, we need you. We need you to help us understand what we just heard today. And then, God, we need you to seal in our hearts truth. Even if that truth is painful for us, God, we need you to seal in our hearts that truth right now. And God, for for those who are still standing accused before the evil one, the, those who are still being opposed to their face before the evil one, God, remind us of the truth of our true identity as children of the Heavenly Father. And, and God will give you the praise. I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. I want to I wanna just note again how important it is to love one another. Um, as we come across challenging passages like this, uh, it's very interesting. Um, you guys are um, evangelical Presbyterians. We are evangelical Presbyterians. A, a fundamental value of, of uh, the evangelical Presbyterian church is that, is that there are some things which are non-negotiable. But there are many other things that, that we're not going to die on that hill. There are many other things. I'm not saying that they're negotiable. We never negotiate the truth. But that godly men and women disagree on. And you don't know us, but but we are a diverse group, and we have a lot of different political opinions, 
Amen? <laughs> we have a lot of different theological opinions, um, but our, our, the thing that holds us together is that we know there's one God, and he has revealed himself. And all of us, from wherever we come from, as we turn our attention to him, he reveals himself. So I want to celebrate the fact that we disagree, right? I want to celebrate. When other people, uh, other family members and old classmates and stuff, they look at me, they, they, um, they say, well, you're, you're just all, and depending on their perspective, you're just all left-wingers or you're just all right-wingers. I, I find that I don't move, but, but in people's opinions, I move all the time, right? Uh, wow, we went from being the arch-conservatives to flaming liberals. We didn't do anything. We didn't change, right? We um, come together, to bow together in humility. We don't pretend to have all the answers, but we know the one that does. And we're going to look to him in the midst of this. So, so as we begin, I just want to note that people have diverse opinions about the millennium, whether it's literal, whether it's figurative. There's all kinds of, all kinds of different perspectives out there. And I want to say, by the way, if you're not familiar with the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, that, that, that other than the Westminster Confession that affirms the very simple truths we're going to camp on today, that there's a lot of room for differing opinions. And the Evangelical Presbyterian Church says we're just going to agree to disagree on some of these things and focus our attention on God. And so in a sense, it's good to disagree, right? I don't like it when I'm in a Bible study or something and someone challenges me, but at the end of that time, I, I am blessed because they're challenged to help me to think more clearly, to help me to go back to God's Word. I'm going to say that it's, there's something really good about disagreement, right? But there's something really bad about division, right? When we say because we disagree, therefore we can't be the church together. And that's wrong. Jesus, the same author actually recorded Jesus saying, John recorded Jesus praying for us that we would be one, right? We're not going to die on the hill of something that we'll all get to heaven and go, oops, right? We're we're not going to die on that hill. We're going to love one another through this. So there's a lot of things that we don't know for certain. And so what's what's required of us is humility. Humility. God, we're going to not be strident and we're not going to sacrifice a relationship. Um, God, we're going to, we're going to um, look to you for truth. What we don't know for certain is when this is all going to happen. There are people that believe we're in that millennium right now. God, God, God bless them. I'll, I'll explain why they believe that in just a few moments. You know, there's, there's some, there's some good aspects that come from that. There are many that believe that that's still a future event, that it has not yet come to be, right? Um, uh, we ourselves, as we've studied Revelation, we've seen the end of the world how many times? Seven times, right? So Revelation is a cyclical book, right? So it's very, we've got to be very careful if at one point we drive a stake in the ground when, when John might be in the, in the midst of one of those seven cycles of truth, right? Um, we're going to recognize that we don't know for sure when this is going to happen. Last week, the week before, our challenge was to be ready no matter when it happens. If, if Christ comes tomorrow, we're ready. If he doesn't come for a hundred years, we're not only are we ready, but we've invested in the next generation so that they will be ready as well. So are these passages arranged chronologically or cyclically? Is the millennium 
before Christ returns or is it after Christ returns? Are we in the millennium now or is it still future to come? We don't know for sure, but we look to God. We look to God. And then the, then the question of how long? How long is this millennium? Is it literally a thousand years or like we saw with the weeks, is there some other sim, uh, uh, symbolism going on? Um, uh, we, we have to anchor ourselves in the fact that that we can have the best understanding and find ourselves uh, to fall short of God's full truth. I want to just say as we do that, um, today I want to let you know my cards here a little bit. Um, as I looked at, at this passage, um, uh, there's so many times when it's really obvious that he's speaking symbolically, um, but there's many passages where, where it seems like he's speaking very literally. And so I want to just encourage you, in your Bible study, always start with the literal. Look at the ramifications if it is literal. And if for some reason, um, like like a, a flaming dragon or a, or a beast, there's some reason that you cannot take it literal, then look for the more symbolic understanding. And I'm going to start today with you just assuming that this is literal. No other place is the word year used symbolically. Weeks are, other terms are, days are used symbolically. No other place that I could find whether was year used symbolically. It seems very clear that there's going to be a, a season, probably a thousand human years, where Christ is going to reign and Satan is going to be completely bound. But I, I still come before you in humility. I, this is the best that I can understand, but I surrender that to God's sovereign, uh, sovereign will. Lastly, what and, and where? Will the millennium involve a physical resurrection of Christians to reign on earth during the millennium? Or was, is it a spiritual thing and will reign with Christ in heaven? There's a lot of things we don't know for certain. Got strong evidence in scripture. But there are some things that we do know. For certain, right? Christ has come. Amen? He has already come, and Satan's power has already been broken. Does that mean he has no influence? No. But but we live in the victory that is already ours, okay? Satan could not stop Christ. He could not stop. He thought he did. And, and, and in this beautiful, in this beautiful fulfillment of God's perfect will, God uses Satan to accomplish his, his purposes. Satan could not stop Christ. And hear this, beloved. Satan cannot stop Christians. Unless we let him. Unless we let him. His influence is fear. His influence is false truths. His influence is is to make you surrender something that is already yours in Christ. Satan cannot stop Christ and he cannot stop Christians who put their trust in Christ. Know this for certain as well. Not only has Christ come once and Satan's power been broken, but Christians who are alive now are, oof, are reigning with Christ. Now, now, you've heard me say countless times, and you tease me about mispronouncing the word, that we represent Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs him. Have you heard me say that before? But that's only part of the story. In, in a real extent, we reign with him now when we surrender 
to his lordship. Am I saying there's not some coming time when we're going to reign physically? No, that's that's coming. But that power has been broken. The opportunity is here for you now. Satan cannot keep the church from proclaiming the gospel, right? He has no power to stop you from proclamation. The Satan cannot keep the nations from believing the gospel, right? Do you see what I'm trying to say? Satan has no power over you, over the church, unless we surrender that power to him. So Christ has come. Satan's power has been broken. Christians who are alive now reign with him as well as represent him, right? We have been given the authority of Christ. And we need to employ that authority on earth now, even as it will be in heaven. Christians who die now aren't in some in-between place. They reign right now with Christ in heaven. They're worshiping God right now with Christ in heaven. They are acting as priests. Christ is standing at the right hand of God the Father. If if you're not familiar with with, um, my understanding, our understanding of Jesus Christ, we are not saying that he is not God and We're saying he is God. God the Father and God the Son are side by side. And Jesus Christ is interceding or priesting for us right now. And those who have gone before are worshiping and priesting with him, right? While they rule with Christ as judge. And Christ will come again. He will literally Come again and Satan will be finally and ultimately condemned. Right? This is an amazing mystery, but, but it appears like, like Christ is gonna come, remember a couple of weeks ago, with this army of people dressed in white linen, no armor visible, no sword visible. The only weapon visible is the sword that is the word of God coming out of Jesus' might. And Jesus wins the victory by the word of his mouth. Let me just flash back to the center point of the entire book of Revelation. Revelation 12, right? Verse 11 and 12. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and, and that they did not love this life so much as to shrink from death, right? Just a reminder of how parallel the life of a believer is with the reign of Christ, right? So, so Jesus came with the saints. He established this thousand year reign. It appears on earth where there is no sin, where there is no evil. And I'm extrapolating. This is all Dave. And there is no death. And then at the end of that thousand years, those who have come, who have been born, those who have never, ever encountered evil uh, for the first time, experience it. And it appears very clear that many, how in the world can that be? That people who literally have lived under the literal reign of Jesus Christ, how could they possibly turn away? How could they possibly be led astray? And I just want to 
note something and then invite you to dig deep. Many of you in the next couple of hours in your, in your small groups will dig deep into these concepts. But remember, apart from Jesus Christ, we have nothing. Apart from Jesus Christ, we uh, are victims and vulnerable to our own sinful nature. And, and it appears that in that thousand years, some will give in. At the end of that thousand years, some will give in and, and choose not to follow Christ, choose to follow the evil one. Just this brief little window where he's released to follow the evil one instead. So after a final period of satanic revolt, there will be one final conclusion, Satan's defeat. And the return of Christ will usher in a full and final judgment once for all. Now, we haven't been together, all of us, through this whole thing. But I just want to remind you who is being judged at the great white throne judgment, the last third of Revelation 20. It is those who have not known him. How can I say that so boldly? Because in Romans 14, verse 10, in 2 Corinthians 5, Verse 10, we realize that followers of Jesus have been brought to the Bema seat. Do you remember that? To the, it's called in, in both passages the judgment seat. But the picture is not of the great white throne and judgment of the guilty. It's that the Bema seat is the same word used for the victor's stand in, in athletic events, right? We know that very clearly. Should the Tokyo Olympics come off, we'll see people standing first, second, third. We're going to see people standing on the victor's stand and, and hearing Christ saying, you are mine. You are mine. So the great white throne, as I understand it from this passage, the great white throne is not believers. It is non-believers standing before and and non-believers, well, don't believers have to be accountable for every word? Yes. Yes. It matters how we live. Amen? It matters what we do and say. But the ultimate thing for believers is that Christ said, my righteousness covers their unrighteousness. What if there was no cover? Then we would live in in judgment and accountability for every careless word, for every foolish thought. So understand in your mind, uh, Romans 14, 10, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, the, the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, and then this great white throne. Understand that difference, right? So Christ will come again. Satan and all those who have chosen to follow him, rather than Christ, will be condemned I want to stop for a second again and just say, i got to check myself here. Um, I just want to say again, make no mistake, in the grace of Jesus Christ, there is opportunity now, now for life everlasting in the presence of God. There will come a time when that opportunity will not be present. Do you understand the urgency? The people that John is speaking to are people who are suffering for their faith. We have never had to suffer like that. You might have been, you might have been ridiculed. You might have been embarrassed on your campus. You might have been judged by someone around you. But, 
But we have not experienced anything like what they were experiencing. I, I say we in, in the United States and the Western world right here. Other parts of the world are experiencing very similar things right now. But, but make no mistake, it is critical that in these days we choose to put our weight down on what Christ has done. And the beautiful symmetry of that is when we put our weight down on what Christ has done, then we are granted mercy and forgiveness for what we have done and even what's been done to us. What's been done to us. So what do we need to remind ourselves of? Thank you so much for your patience. This is deep stuff. And I will just so look forward with joy to having you come. I'm, I'm kind of going to anticipate about five conversations in the foyer right after this. I will look for so much forward to wrestling with you to try and apprehend the truth of God in this. But for right now, anchor yourself in this. The testimony of the book of Revelation is that God is sovereign. He is sovereign. He's king over everything that happens. This is a hard truth for us. Even the nasty things that happen, God is sovereign over and he takes those things and makes them for our good and for his glory. God is sovereign. Put your weight down on your good, good, sovereign father. But note also that Satan is subordinate. He is limited. And ultimately, he will be bound and then ultimately cast into the lake of fire. He is limited, right? He is doomed and will ultimately be defeated. That does not mean that you will not struggle with him right now. But but know what his future is and know what your future is. God is sovereign. Satan is subordinate. The gospel will advance. The gospel, the good news of what Jesus Christ has done will advance through the church and Jesus will return for that church, right? So two final questions for you, right? At the end of history, every single one of us will be judged by God and either he will say, this one is mine, or he will say, Stand on the weight of your own works for good or for bad. Of course, we know no one can stand under that weight. At the end of history, ultimately, there will be two questions. I'm thinking of Jesus after that amazing parable about prayer, where the woman prays and prays and bangs on the door and knocks on the door, and finally the the wicked judge says, I'm going to answer her because I'm tired of her knocking. And, and we said, and Jesus says, if, if God, who is not wicked, or if wicked judge will, will answer the door, how much more will a loving God who is not wicked answer that door? And I said, thank you, God. Thank you that you're not like this wicked judge. But then Jesus beans me right between the eyes and, and says, and, and, and says these words, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So the two questions I want to ask you today are, have you put your faith in Christ's work? Or are you still trying to do it yourself? Have you put your faith in Christ's work? And secondly, maybe an even harder one for many of us, 
we're very comfortable in our Christian lives right now? Is there any evidence of faith in what we do? Is there any evidence of faith in our works, right? Because if there's no fruit of faith in Christ, what does it indicate, right? If there's no fruit being born, we're going to look at this parable later in the summer. If there's no fruit in our lives, what does that say about what we're abiding in, right? Examine your heart. Ask yourself, am I, have I truly trusted in Christ and Christ alone for salvation? Am I submitting to his lordship in my life? Is there any evidence, God, of faith in the things that I do? Am I faithful in worship? Now, don't, please don't understand. I'm not talking about between 9 and 10. You guys probably have a later service. We're pretty angry about that. Um, we, we, um, is, I'm not talking about just the worship service. Right? Worship is not a time and a place. Worship is a heart attitude. I'm looking for fruit. Are we faithful in our worship of Christ? Or is it something we just tack on to our week and hope that that will somehow clean up the rest of the week? Secondly, are we faithful in our witness? Does our life speak of the truth of Jesus Christ? Does our life testify to to the righteousness of Christ and to the struggle against sin, right? Lead us not into temptation, we prayed a few moments ago, right? Do we fight against sin? Do we trust God in the midst of suffering, right? Are we faithful in worship? Are we faithful in witness? Why are these questions so important? Come on up, worship team, if you would. Because probably more clear than most other places in the Bible, we see, we see what is at stake here. Do you understand that your soul is eternal? I know there's all, all kinds of convenient truths that would say, no, no, we're just, we're just annihilated. There's, we stop existing. This, this scripture says that's not true. This scripture says our souls are going to exist for eternity. So the question is, what is the destination of our soul, right? What is the destination of our soul? Is it eternal? I'm going to use a strong word here because Revelation 20 uses it. Remember, the, the Antichrist was thrown into the lake of fire. The, the false prophet was thrown into the lake of fire. The, the Satan himself was thrown into the lake of fire. All those who followed Satan were thrown into the lake of fire. This is as hell and brimstone as I ever get. There is an eternal punishment. And we're kidding ourselves if, if, we, if we don't deal with that truth. There is an eternal punishment. And, and those, those who have not rested in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are going to face that. My precious wife was so overwhelmed a couple weeks ago um, uh, just from that reality. We have so many people we love who don't know Jesus. Who don't know Jesus. And do I really love them if I don't say anything? Right? Do I really love them if I don't Invite them to know my Jesus, right? There's a place of eternal 
torment. Push back. When you read Revelation 20, push back. I, I read eternal torment for Satan, for those who have submitted to him. But I was talking to my brothers, my, I, my college and roommates and I, five of us from 40 years ago still communicate daily. Uh, uh, we text one another daily about passages we're reading together. And, and I was just inviting them yesterday. But I love the buts in Scripture, right? But not only is there a place of eternal torment, there is a place of everlasting joy. Of everlasting joy. And make no mistake, God, who, who doesn't desire that any should perish, right? God reigns there. And and he's inviting us to that place, to that eternity, where we, we revel in who he is, his goodness, his love, his light, his peace, his, his truth, his joy, where like desperate, desperate um, beggars seeking, seeking uh, food, we run to his arms. Run, don't walk into his arms today. Pray with me, would you? Oh God, I, my heart goes out toward uh, those who are really struggling right now. Um, uh, God, I have the same temptation. I want to create you in my own image and, and make a God who I would be comfortable with. But these are uncomfortable truths. God, especially as we think about our beloved who don't yet know you. But thank you, Jesus, that with your truth also is love. With your truth also is mercy and grace. And any who would turn to you right now and say, Jesus, I'm tired of living for myself. I'm tired of creating you in my own image. I'm, I'm tired of worshiping an idol which I have made. I surrender to your truth today. Jesus, receive me as your own. Jesus, deliver me from sin and disease and even death. I rest in your unfailing grace. Thank you. Thank you, God, that no one can snatch us from your hand. Thank you that you are good, even when there's nothing good in me. I ask it in Jesus' name.